Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we have a very special guest, my friend, DC, and uh, why don't you say hi, Dave? Hey, how's it going? So, and... um, Dave is getting into jazz, and he's got a lot of appreciation, so I figured, hey, how fun would it be to have a buddy of mine come in on the podcast and give a different sensibility to the whole vibe of it? So what better place to start out with than Blue Note Records? So with that being said, I want to give a little backstory into this. Back when I was in uh, Tuscaloosa, there was a, a radio station that I had a, a jazz radio show on called Hear Me Talking to You. And there was another r- jazz radio show uh, with three buddies of mine, Sarah, Brendan, and Graham. And Graham now works for CNN in New York. And they had a show called Strictly Blue Note. And all they would play is Blue Note record tracks. So I thought, hey, here's a great example of getting Dave into the whole Blue Note world. So, that's what we're going to do, Dave. We're going to get you, you know, indoctrinated into some hip-ass jazz into Blue Note Records. Sounds great. So, here we are, and let's get to some music. Thank you. 
sir that's donald bird band and voices from his 1963 album a new perspective on blue note records we heard cristo redentor which is just a gorgeous song and uh was for those of you who are fans of more contemporary jazz was uh, put words to by Kurt Elling and uh, retitled Higher Vibe. Uh, so I'm going to open this up now to my friend Dave. And just, Dave, give me some of your thoughts on this, man. This is your new world here. Um, so being a bass player, like, um, what I understand about the song is, like, this preemptive bass, it really sets a tone for the whole song about the solemnity of the song. And it really says to me, like... Um, the melancholy it sets forth the melancholy of like the song and um just how the piano player plays it this repeated phrases and it, it just really pulls you into the song and offers you like comfort but at the same time offers you the like the joy of sadness within the song and i really really appreciated that with the piano player well as it turns out the piano player was none other than herbie motherfucking Hancock. So, <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you go wrong with Herbie Hancock, baby? I mean, he's Herbie, right? Now, uh, I was telling Dave as we were listening to this, that there's a story there, and here's the story. So, Donald Byrd is actually older than Herbie Hancock, and Donald Byrd was up in New York and was the first roommate of Herbie Hancock. And it was under Donald Byrd's discretion that um, when Blue Note Records and Alfred Lyon offered Herbie Hancock his very first solo album, Taken Off, he's like, I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go out on my own, you know. And Donald Byrd says, do it. You're more than ready, Herbie. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Do it, you know, and <laughs> right, and and so anyway, so he wrote three original tunes. And he was going to do three standards, you know, because that was kind of the typical um, the set for a, a, a an emerging artist at Blue Note Records, you know. And Alfred Lyon loved Watermelon Man, 
and these tracks so much. He's like, just do three more originals. And he went to Donald and he goes, what am I going to do? They want three more originals. Donald says, well, get to writing, son. <laughs> so, so Donald Burr was very instrumental in Herbie Hancock taking that first independent step. Amen. So... Yeah, so when Donald Byrd had this great idea of doing like a, a, a choir and a jazz group, well, who do you think he's going to get to play this great little piano fills? Herbie motherfucking Hancock, man. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So, I mean, you know, and, and to me, I, I, I think that's just a gorgeous track because you're right, there is some solemnity to it, you know. It almost feels like you're alone with this group, but at the same time you can feel that it, it could reach other people in the same way. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And uh, it almost like feels like you're taking it to church. It's a beautiful song. Beautiful song. Yeah. I mean, you know, with a whole church vibe, I mean, Cristo Redentor, that kind of gets into that whole Catholic vibe. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. So there you go. It's uh, it's touching on some deeper, deeper elements within that track just alone. So, all right, Dave, you're going to pick the next track. We've got a, we've got 21 gorgeous blue note tracks for you. So Dave's going to pick the next track and we're going to see what we're going to do. What are you going to pick? Oh, Fungi Mama. Fungi Mama. All right. All right. Fungi Mama coming at you. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
Mitchell with Funja Mama, which he wrote from his album The Thing to Do from 1964. That's Blue Mitchell on the trumpet, Junior Cook on the tenor, Chick motherfucking Korea on the piano, throwing some monk vibes in that piano solo on top of that, Gene Taylor on a bass, and Aloysius Foster. What a name. Aloysius. Aloysius. It just it just rolls off the tongue. Aloysius. You stay classy. Aloysius. Right? So Aloysius Foster on the drums, right? And once again, this is from 1964. So this is like heyday for Blue Note, right? All right, so I'm not going to speak too much. I'm going to let Dave go ahead and give his thoughts on the track because we're introducing him to this wonderful world of Blue Note Records. Go ahead, Dave. All right, so here we have, uh, you know, Blue Note, uh, this Aloysius. 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 You stay classy, Motherfucking Aloysius. Okay, check. And we have Holy Blue Aloysius. Mitch- Aloysius. Okay, so we got Aloysius, Blue, and chick just like killing it and we see that um this this track really reminds me of like a good time at a barbecue and set in on a saturday afternoon and where we're all chilling listening to this great song and just swigging beers around the grill um waiting on the chef you know basically to turn these uh patties over or Do put that's doing it for the children right uh waiting on the chef you know chick korea definitely has his hands busy working in those systematic beats and blue mitchell is working up the front and catching everyone's ears up and it's really beautiful to hear um i really really love this song uh it's definitely a good good vibe and uh let's let's keep on playing more of it all right thank you dave yeah so um the cool part that i want to add to this track is just before we get on to the next track is that Blue uh, Mitchell, along with Junior Cook, were both frontmen, hornline frontmen for the great Horace Silver. And you can't beat Horace Silver, you know what I mean, when it comes to Blue Note, because he's one of the, the big poster boys for the whole Blue Note sound. So, uh, once again, Blue Mitchell, and if you dig that track, then you should absolutely check out more Blue Mitchell because there's not a bad Blue Mitchell album out there, just speaking from experience, okay? Uh, once again, I have my da- my friend Dave here, and uh, he is. Uh, we are indoctrinating him into the world of jazz through Blue Note Records. So if you want to check out these album covers as well as give any suggestions or just tell us, you know, like, hey, Dave did a great job. I'll pass on the information to him. Just go to the website. That's Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. That way you know what you're getting, and we can receive your feedback. All right? Don't forget, we are on iTunes, and we are on SoundCloud. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. More music coming up next. <laughs>
Thelonious Sphere, Monk from 1947, The Genius of Modern Music, Volume 1. That was the original Thelonious Monk composition in Walked Bud. Of course, that was for Bud Powell. That was George Tate on the trumpet, Sahib Shihab on the alto sax, Thelonious, of course, on the piano, Bob Page on the bass, and the great jazz messenger himself, Art Blakey on the drums. Dave, take it away. Well, here's two fucking fruitful sentences that I just fruitful sentences. Fruitful sentences. Fruitful, baby. That I thought when I listened to that song. First of all, it reminds me of the first perfectly rolled joint I've ever <laughs> smoked and rolled in my whole life. <laughs> and the second one is that the gracefulness uh, of the song seemed joyous and vibrant. I mean, it was just beautiful. Like you could hear the fun that they were having in studio with that soundtrack. It was beautiful. Yeah, I agree. There's a great camaraderie there between Thelonious Monk and Bud Powell. And, um, you know, Thelonious did zero drugs, but Th- Bud Powell was said to have done uh, some drugs. And Thelonious actually took the rap for Bud Powell and actually lost his cabaret card. So, I mean, that's the true definition of loyalty to friends right there. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, kudos to two great geniuses of modern music. Uh, but that was Thelonious Monk from 1947. And we can thank Alfred Lyon for um, taking a chance on just how great Thelonious Monk was, even though he was an eccentric. So we're going to let Dave choose the next track here. What's it going to be, Dave? Let's go with... Let's go. Da, 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 I'm da. loving it. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Oh, yes. Strictly Blue Note. Let's go with Gypsy Blue. Gypsy Blue. Let's go with Gypsy All right. Blue. Freddie Hubbard, Gypsy Blue, coming at you.
All right, that was the great Freddie Hubbard from the 1960 album for, of course, Blue Note, which is the spotlight of this show. It is from the Blue Note album Open Sesame. And it featured, of course, Freddie Hubbard on the trumpet, the great Tina Brooks on the tenor sax, McCoy Tyner on the bass, and... Sam, jo- I'm sorry, McCoy Tyner on the piano, Sam Jones on the bass, and Clifford Jarvis on the drums. And there was a great little quote in there that I heard Freddie uh, during his solo quote, Mr. PC from John Coltrane, which I thought was really hip. It's been a while since I've heard that track, so that was hip. Dave, your thoughts, man. Well, here's the thing. I think that Gypsy Blue is a, it's a wonderland of solos. Um, each one resonates a different emotion and gesture of gratitude towards the listener. I, I believe that the the phrasing of the song suggests a layer. Uh, it's suggests a layer a layer of romanticism, and it really brings uh, forth this um, this dedication of like pulling the uh, listener forward in in the song. And I, I really really appreciate that. Well, I agree with that completely. Um, <clears throat> I think that that's just the power of a really good soloist. If I, if I were to, you know, chime in on that. Um, you know, uh, great soloists have this, like, magical, magnetic power or prowess, if you will, that they can just, like, suck you in to whatever ideas that they just keep coming up with. And you're just like, okay, I'll listen to that 47th chorus. Sure. Yeah, man, you've got me, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 even though it's in a, a much more of a microcosm in, in, in this tune because it's um, all of like six and a half minutes, uh, Freddie Hubbard is one of the masters of, you know, uh, uh, not only being able to play that way, but assembling a band that can uh, play that way, too. I mean, I could listen to McCoy Tanner for just hours, you know, I mean, we're talking about Coltrane's pianist. For God's sakes, this is the same year, 1960, you know, that he was recording like, um, you know, a bunch of stuff like that, you know, and it wasn't long after that that Coltrane recorded My Favorite Things with McCoy Tyner. So there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's just, uh, to me, the mark of a great musician, Dave, you know. Absolutely. So, I can't um, wait to hear what's coming up. Well, we that's what I was telling Dave uh, during the song. I said, you know, you pick it some great ones, man, but I said, you hadn't even hit the hot points yet, baby. So, um, all right, out of this list, what's next? All right, well, let's go with the Sidewinder. Let's go with the Sidewinder. Lee motherfucking Morgan, the right. Sidewinder, baby. This is like one of the Blue Note staples. Are y'all ready for this? You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast, me and Dave.
Lee Morgan, the Sidewinder. Of course, that is the great Joe Henderson on tenor sax, Barry Harris on piano, Billy Higgins on the drums, and Bob Crenshaw on the bass. 1963, December 21st, 1963. The Sidewinder, one of these staples of Blue Note Records. But I'm going to turn this over to Dave. Give us your thoughts on this, Dave. All right, well, the first thing that I want to say to you guys is that the Sidewinder is like, um, for me, it's like a rhythmic telepartnership. It's like a game of gin and tonic that's ping pong followed by unsolicited drum and bass. But the players seem to coerce each other into a playful rhythm. And uh, that to me is like, uh, it's beautiful. But when I was talking to Nate, uh, you know, Dr. Jazz about this, like we were talking about like how jazz like is is somewhat like uh, a game where most people don't want to play it because they're they feel like it's too complex and so like my like thought on the whole process was you know I'd seen this like tree that had been uh, cut down and then uh, inside of it like this uh, carpenter had like cut away the growth rings and all it was was the like inner core of the tree and what how it had grown throughout the years and um i started talking to nate about this like during the song and he was like man that's like really what you should talk about because like you know most people think jazz is too complex and i'm like well it's really not it's not like you know it's not like that you know and that's what he said you know it's really not like that like you know you can break it down but like i said you know too many people are afraid to really break jazz down you know they're they're really searching for some rhythmic uh prowess to like follow uh but like i really feel like you know that's that's what it is jazz is a tree man and you just got to watch it grow and it's it's a beautiful thing and i'm i'm grateful that nate is here to help me understand that you're doctor for jazz <laughs> <laughs> no but for real <clears throat> Dave's got a great point. You know, I mean, you think about that, and and, and the history of jazz is um, the analogy of a tree is is quite um, appropriate because you have like Dave, you have like the roots, you know, which go all the way back to New Orleans. Yeah, and 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 then you know that that those roots spring up to the the stump, which I guess would be Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, when like King Oliver and Louis Armstrong and all that went into Chicago and really made their mark. You know, and and uh, really set fire to these young boys, you know, who later became like Benny Goodman, Gene Krupa, the whole Austin High gang. And then that moved on from Chicago, you know, all the way up to New York, which has become since then the mecca of jazz, you know. And then that sprouted up bebop and then Miles Davis and hard bop and then, you know, the whole thing, right? And if you want to get into genres. But, you know, as... Um, as Miles would say, you know, let's just call it music, man. Let's not call it any labels. Let's just call it music. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, and that's my best Miles Davis impersonation for you. Um, but the truth is, is that jazz is like a tree, you know. But with with somebody who's as fanatical about it as I am, because I breathe this shit, you know. I mean, you can ask Dave. Like, I, I have, I live. With my top floor of my house as basically like a jazz museum, <laughs> when you say so, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I love this shit, you know, to death. So, um, and so much to the point, I'm doing a podcast about it. So there you go. Um, but 
he he's right. It is like a tree, you know. Now Lee Morgan. Uh, now I, I I told Dave I, I said you know I, I've got some stories about Lee Morgan and I'm gonna I'm gonna spring it on you right now. So just to get his real time um, <laughs> reaction to this. Um, so Lee Morgan was not only a jazz messenger, Dave, with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. He played with like Wayne Shorter. And he was also on John Coltrane's Blue Train album for Blue Note Records, the only John Coltrane Blue Note album. And then, on top of that, he had like a successful run like on Blue Note Records, like a ton of great hits, uh, including The Sidewinder, which is probably his best-known hit and one of Blue Note's top songs. Um, but then he, he had a great... Uh, you know, career, you know, he was, he was recording, he was playing gigs, he was making good money. And, uh, he, he divorced his wife. He got into this relationship with this girl. Right. Okay. And he was playing at slug saloon and he was supposedly seeing this other girl who was even younger than she was. And this girl who, who he was with went and found him in the dead of winter at slug saloon, pulled out a gun, shot him dead on the stage. Shit, bro. That's like a... And it was so snowy that they could not get an ambulance there in time. And he died in Slug's Saloon. What's your take on that? Uh, it sounds like a Dimebag Daryl situation from Pantera. <laughs> um, from a heavy metal point of view. But, uh, wow. That's like pretty... It's pretty metal, if you, I had to say. it's. But jazz is way... It's way sorted, and it's way into history, and it... it, it that doesn't surprise me about jazz. From what I understand about <laughs> jazz, it's like anything and everything could happen at any time. So, especially with um, the guy who uh, played uh, uh, the the ragtime, the Scott Joplin, Scott Joplin, and uh, who else was it? He was a pimp. Uh, Jelly Roll. Jelly Roll Morton. Jelly Roll Morton. Jelly Moore Morton was a fucking bad man, but like <laughs> he just hadn't shit happen to him at any time. So like I, I really feel like uh, you know, jazz can happen to anybody at any time and um, you know, these guys are legends in what they do and how they live their life. Yeah, no, that's that's completely true. You know, that there is a voodoo uh thing with uh, a voodoo element with jelly roll mm. but we can get that into that on a later podcast you know what yeah. i mean because there are books about that you know what i mean uh that his grandmother put a voodoo curse on him so yeah no that's it's real man and he comes from haitian descent oh no shit you know, haitian and creole descent yeah wow ferdinand ferdinand lamoth uh morton yeah wow yeah so yeah, no, it's crazy shit, man. You know, but anyway, uh, but that is the story with Lee Morgan, and you heard it here. You know, a a a newcomer to the jazz world, his immediate reaction to the Lee Morgan story. You know what I mean? So there you have it. And Lee Morgan was a legend, man. Like people cried about that dude. You know. So all right, we're gonna let Dave pick another track. Here we go. All right, let's uh, pick Lamesha. La Mesha from Joe Henderson's Page One.
That was La Mesha from Joe Henderson's 1963 album, Page One, with Kenny Dorham, the great Kenny Dorham on the trumpet. Joe Henderson, of course, on the tenor sax, McCoy Tyner on piano, Butch Warren on bass, and Pete LaRocca on the drums. Uh, La Mesha was an original tune composed by Kenny Dorham. Um... To me, I just love this ballad. This is like the ultimate chill song for Blue Note because it's very nebulous. You know, it's like there's no uh, big underlying time. It just kind of floats like a cloud or like fog, if you will. You know what I mean? So I'm going to let Dave say a couple words, you know, just because he's my guest here on the Dr. Jazz podcast this week. Dave? Uh, Lamacia is definitely one of those songs that, like, you can just chill to, and um, I think that it should be in every uh, metalhead's fucking rotunda, like of like shit to listen to, and every pop stars like uh, you know like playthrough because like I mean, like Doctor Jazz said, I mean it's something that like you can just it's easily like listen to, and it's something that just you can float through. Um, it's very, very quiet, it's mellow, it's chill, um, and it just, like, lets you, like, groove to it. Like, it doesn't, like, push the agenda, which, I mean, who wants an agenda pushed on them? So, uh, jazz is usually one of those, like, type of things where, like, you know, the, the beat pushes you towards this, like, feeling, and... Joe Henderson, take me away! That's right, baby. (laughs) So... 
what I'm saying is, yeah, every every musician should listen to La Mesa and and really appreciate it. Cool. All right, Dave, pick the next track, baby. All right, so we're gonna go Cantaloupe Island. Cantaloupe Island. Herbie motherfucking Hancock, Cantaloupe Island from Imperial Isles, Imperian Isles on Blue Note Records. You listen to the Dodger Jazz podcast.
All right, that was Herbie motherfucking Hancock. And why do I keep saying that? Because if you're Herbie Hancock, you better believe your middle name is Bad Motherfucker. So if you don't believe me, just check his wallet. So that was Herbie Hancock, 1964, Empyrean Isles, off of Blue Note Records. That is Cantaloupe Island. And... Of course, that was written by Herbie Hancock, Herbie Hancock on the piano, the great Freddie Hubbard on the trumpet, none other than Ron Carter on the bass and Tony Williams on the drums. And if you're keeping score at home, Tony Williams, Ron Carter, and Billy, and I'm sorry, Herbie Hancock are the rhythm section for the great Miles Davis in the 60s that's right you ain't gonna find a rhythm section tighter better or freer and the fact that it's that groovy just says it all so once again for thoughts on this whole thing turn it over to dave so what i've noticed is that cantaloupe island was like a song that i really got down to in the 90s and i really didn't understand that until he played that song so dr jazz please and thank you (laughs) <laughs> playing playing that song for us man it was amazing uh that fucking uh that beat do 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 so that fucking song with the all right like that fucking song like fucking in the 90s god man like i can't explain to you how much edm like came out of that fucking song at like the the early 90s it was fucking phenomenal so thank you for Herbie Hancock, and who was it who played on that fucking trumpet solo? Freddie Hubbard. Freddie Hubbard, thank you for fucking putting that down because that provided a lot of EDM for us in the fucking nineties. A lot of fucking ecstasy was like had on your behalf. <laughs> so please and thank you, you too. We bow your heads in fucking significant grace to you. Yeah, and that was probably known better in the nineties as Cantaloupe Island, you know. Or just Cantaloupe by US3. That's who Dave is talking about. All right, so we're going to keep on chugging here. Dave, pick another one. All right, let's go for uh, one for Daddy because uh, it's Friday night. Daddy O. And uh, it's Friday night, so let's get lit. Let's fucking get (laughs) staunch with it. Let's not even get staunch with it. Let's just fucking get lit because uh, it's Friday night and Daddy O needs some fucking play. All right, here's one for Daddy-O, Cannonball Adderley. Thank you. 
you wanted dave <laughs> absolutely we can do it better than fucking miles davis man asking alfred is that what you wanted so like i mean wow just a, a megaton of like balls on that guy <laughs> well yeah it's miles motherfucking davis you know so cannonball adderley of course was the leader on that session uh, it's from the Something Else album, and that's 1958, the year before Kind of Blue. What do you wow. think about that? Huh? That's fucking sick. Right? Miles, of course, on the trumpet in a very rare role as a sideman. And, of course, Cannonball Adderley on the alto, Hank Jones on the piano. That is the brother of Thad Jones and... Elvin Jones and Sam Jones on the bass and the great Art Blakey on the drums. We heard One for Daddy-O, which sadly was written by Nat Adderley, Mm. who is Cannonball Adderley's brother who plays the cornet. So even though Nat wrote that, 
Cannonball and Miles totally tore it up. So getting deep, y'all. Yeah, I mean it's from the album something else, and most people would probably play Autumn Leaves, but and that's a great track. But one for Daddy O just had that killer ass break by Cannonball, where it's like yeah, I mean it's just oh my God, just killer man. So yeah. Laying silk down, laying silk down. You know how it goes. All right, we're going to keep on moving, y'all. Next. What, what's going to be, Dave? All right, let's go with Blue Miner. Let's go with Blue Miner. Blue Miner from Sonny Clark. This is the first time you've probably heard Sonny Clark, right? Yes. All right, so Sonny Clark, brilliant jazz pianist on Blue Note Records. Here is Blue Miner. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
right, that was Sonny Clark with Blue Miner from his album Cool Struttin' with a woman in uh, nice heels and a skirt there showing a little bit of uh, calf. Way to go, Blue Note, circa 1958. You got two of them from 1958, Dave. Hey. There you go. He can't help himself with the pencil skirts in the 1958. Dave is a madman right now. And that featured Art Farmer on the trumpet, Jackie Motherfucker McLean on the alto sax, Sonny Clark, of course, on the piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on the drums. Paul Chambers and Philly Joe Jones being two of Miles Davis's rhythm section from back in the day. So, any thoughts on uh, Cool Strutton there, Dave? Well, first off... Or, like, I'm sorry, Blue Miner from the album Cool Strutton. Well, ho, ho, ho there. <laughs> Fucking Blue Strutton. Blue, no, Blue, Blue Miner. Miner. Blue Miner is the name of the game. And what I'll write I, a song. I'll write a song and I'll call it Blue Strutton. All right, well, that that's what we got to do yeah. then. Blue Miner was, uh, it's a very easily listening jazz sesh. It's, uh, it's what you expect of jazz, but it's like perfect in every aspect of it. So many different solos, so many different breakdowns, but it's, it's beautiful in its own way. And it's like, it's uncomplicit of like listening. Like that's what I find jazz to be. It's, it's very, um. It's very sensual, but it's also at the same time it's very hard hitting. So like any of this this uh, Bloom Minor uh, song was just just made to like punch you in the face, but also like set you at ease. It's it's a great song, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Dave, you cannot be two or three beers deep into this podcast and use words like uncomplicit. Just to say, okay. Uncomplicit in my Guinness drinking. Uncomplicit. All right. Um, all right. We're just going to get to another track here. We don't want to be complicit or uncomplicit. We just want to be serving the general public here with our. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all right. Go ahead and pick another track. All right. So, uh, speaking on that, let's speak no evil. Let's speak no evil. Wayne! Yeah. Wayne!
Alright, that was Wayne Shorter with Speak No Evil from his self-entitled album, Speak No Evil, written by him. And in fact, every track is written by him on this album, which was recorded on Christmas Eve, 1964. Wayne Shorter on the tenor sax, the god himself, the living legend. Freddie Hubbard again on the trumpet, right? Herbie motherfucking Hancock on the piano, Ron Carter on the bass, and Elvin Jones on the drums. That's right. Coltrane's drummer in 64 at the height of Coltrane's powers, recording with Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock, and Ron Carter. Three of the five of the infamous Miles Davis Quintet in the 60s, in 1964, for Blue Note Records. Thoughts? Speak No Evil. Uh, Speak No Evil is, man, like you you hear that, you see that, uh, you know, little totem with uh, your mouth covered, and you can really understand why they said Speak No Evil, because this uh, track really gives... Uh, an adherence to uh, like really covering your mouth and just listening you need to open up your ears and just listen to this track because it's it's beautiful it's not a, um, a track that you need to say shit to you need to like just open up your fucking ears so um, my advice would be for Wayne Shorter uh, anybody in his general audience is just open up your ears and let your heart and just just let it in, baby. Beautifully put, Dave. Let it in. There you go. All right. Next track. All right. Our next track is Florette African. This is an amazing track. This is none other than the Duke Ellington Trio, which consists of, are you ready for this, Dave? Yeah. Duke Ellington on the piano Shit. on his only Blue Note album. Wow. The great Max Roach on the drums. And Charlie motherfucking Mingus on the bass. Mingus, Roach, Ellington, Florette Africaine. Thank you. 
All right, that's Money Jungle from 1962, September 17th, 1962, with, of course, the now infamous piano trio of Duke Ellington on the piano. <laughs> yes. Charlie Mingus, Charlie Mingus on the bass. Max Roach, Max Roach on the drums. And now here's David Contreras, and he's going to give us a word on his insight into the whole shebang. Thank you, Dave. Well, if you know anything about Big Mouth, you know that Duke Ellington lives in the ceiling or the, <laughs> the upper layers of the house. And what we know about Florette Afrikan is that um, it, it's a beautiful song and it, it's very slow in its intro and it works its way up to the to the end, but like it gives us a steadiness that like we need and and this bass like this bass is like a ghost sheet it's like uh something that like it's slowly slipping down and it like gives this uneasiness to the song and uh this drum is like very very soft in the background which like can't really you can't anticipate i guess is the best feeling that i have for this even though it does have a steady beat, but, like, it makes you uneasy. Uh, so, like, that would be the best thing that I would say about this uh, song, Florette African. And it, it's definitely beautiful, but it's definitely unnerving at the same time. So thank you, Duke, and, and thank you, Max, and thank you, Charlie, uh, for this. We appreciate it. Yeah, and I would uh, just uh, like to add one last note to that. It's like, you know, Florette African is African flower. So it's almost like a gush of wind came over the African flower, and we got to witness the musical extraction of that, if you will. Absolutely. So, uh, and who better than three giants of the genre? You know, I mean, Ellington is like the Bach, you know, or the Beethoven of the whole motherfucking genre, you know. I mean, he's the only jazz musician to be on the back side of any kind of U.S. currency for the the quarter, you know, when they did different um, cities and states. He was on the back of the Washington, D.C. quarter. Now, you think about that just for a minute. You think about how absurd D.C. can be from time to time. Right. Right? right? And that's all I'm going to say about that. But they could have put the Lincoln Memorial. They could have put, you know, the White House. They could have put it anything that they wanted to on Washington, D.C. But no, they put their native son, Edward Kennedy Ellington, on the back of that U.S. quarter. Yeah, it's beautiful. Because he's America's greatest composer. Absolutely. So there you go. And basically anything you touch that has Ellington's name on it, don't walk towards it. Run. Because <laughs> yeah. you know it's going to be good. Okay? <sighs> so, and Duke Ellington's only Blue Note album. So, yeah. It, it's a masterpiece. Every track. But that's a really, really beautiful track. All right, Dave. Pick another piece. All right. Here we go. We're going to go Rick Kick Shaw. Oh, Cecil Taylor. Here we go. <laughs>
that is the great and recently departed Cecil Taylor with Steve Lacey on this album, but we heard just the trio there, Cecil Taylor on piano, Buell Neidlinger on the bass, and Dennis Charles on the drums. And this is from the 1956 album, Jazz Advance. We heard Rick Kick Shaw, which is an original by Cecil Taylor. Thoughts, Dave? It's as though someone splattered red paint and semen across the <laughs> two-by-three-foot canvas. I mean, the thoughts are its extremely frenetic and violent, but at the same time, beautiful. Like, so, what can I say? It's, it's, it's a Christopher Walken moment to me. Well, you heard it here first from Dave. It is a Christopher Walken moment. Cecil Taylor's music and Christopher Walken put together. I got a fever. Only prescription. It's more Cecil Taylor. Baby. Baby. (laughs) All right. Next track, Dave. All right. Next track. We're going to go free for all. Free for all. Free for all. This is from Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Remember, please give any feedback or, you know, uh, anything, likes, dislikes, suggestions, etc. Don't forget to go to the website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, D R J A Z Podcast.wordpress.com. Love to hear from you. Here's Free for All, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messenger.
Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, Free For All, from the album Free For All, recorded February 10th, 1964. Of course, Art Blakey on the drums, Reggie Workman, famous for working with John Coltrane on the bass, Cedar Walton, the great El Maestro himself on the piano, Wayne Shorter on the tenor saxophone, Curtis Fuller on the trombone, and Freddie Hubbard on the trumpet. Thoughts from Dave. I mean, can we just give it up? Can we give it up for fucking whoop, whoop. The, the fucking drummer, man? All right. Give the drummer some. Give I the mean, drummer some. Give the fucking drummer some. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like, I mean, this guy was fucking talented. Before a double bass, before a fucking, I mean, this guy was all over the place just fucking sweating it out, just fucking sweating it out like a drummer should just to keep that beat going. I mean, beautiful uh semantic i mean he was just all over the place but he was everywhere he needed to be at all the right times so let's give it up for him so um god bless this song that's all i got to say about this song free for all all right i like it and the jazz messengers as Wee marquette would say all right pick the next track dave all right, we got uh, a blue train coming your way. John Coltrane, blue train for you. <laughs> Thank you. 
right, that was the great John William Coltrane with his album Blue Train from the Blue Nook catalog. Of course, that features Lee Morgan on the trumpet, Curtis Fuller on the trombone, Kenny Drew on the piano, Paul Chambers on the bass, Philly Joe Jones on the drums, and of course, Coltrane, Paul Chambers, and Philly Joe Jones were all part of Miles Davis's quintet at this time. And what you heard was Blue Train. And once again, we are featuring the Blue Note Records catalog here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast with our very special guest, Dave, Mr. DC. Uh, let's just give it up for John Coltrane for making that uh, track. And uh, it wraps around you like a warm, warm blanket. I mean, there's something about that track that really says that you uh, you need skill and warmth in your life. And what it does is it provides all that, you know. So what I would say to you is uh, listen to that track when you need warmth and when you need comfort because that's what it provides. Thank you. All right. Train providing warmth. There you go. All right, and we are going to conclude this episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast with our good buddy Dave with the great Horace Silver. We are going to conclude with none other than Senior Blues, which might become Dave's nickname from every podcast here on out. It's like Dr. Jazz featuring Senior Blues. <laughs> si, senor. <laughs> All right, here's Horace Silver with Senior Blues. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
All right. That was the great Horace Silver with Senior Blues, who we're going to call Dave from now on. I think that's going to be your new uh, podcast name, Dave, is Senior Blues from 1956. 1956. And we heard Donald Byrd on the trumpet, who we actually started this whole podcast out with, with a spotlight on Blue Note Records. We heard Christopher Dentor by Donald Byrd. But Donald Byrd's on trumpet here with Hank Mobley on the tenor sax, Horace Silver, of course, on the piano, because it's his session, Doug Watkins on the bass, and Lewis Hayes on the drums, who was also Donald Byrd's drummer. So there you go. And it comes from the album Six pieces of silver we heard senior blues takes on this track dave well i just want to thank uh nate for like uh offering me this spot you are welcome and and really like uh you're just offering like some so much gratitude to him um my my thoughts on jazz is that a horse uh silver is amazing and that um the fact that he grouped all these like magnificent players to play with him means that you know he had some bravado and uh, some skill in collecting his players to actually play. So thank you, Horace, for uh, doing this great favor to humanity uh, for us. And uh, thank you, Nate, for uh, introducing me to jazz itself and uh, the world of blue note. The blue blue note for real, for real. So um, let's all give it up for Jazz, and let's have a great, great, great night. It's Friday, y'all. Get lit. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Dave, a.k.a. Senor Blues. And remember, thank you for listening. Please, any feedback, uh, tell Dave that you love him. You know, write to us, and the way you can do that is going to the website at Dr. Jazz Podcast, D R J A double Z Podcast, all one word, dot WordPress dot com. All right, and in the famous words of Duke Ellington, we do love you madly. Thank you for listening, and remember, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now. Because in jazz, we trust.